0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Cedar Springs Presbyterian Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. Our mission is to respond to God's love by following Jesus and loving God, loving one another, and serving the world. If you're in Knoxville, we'd love for you to join us in person. In the meantime, enjoy this message from God's Word. Good morning, it's good to see you. My name is James Forsyth, I'm the senior pastor here and looking forward to spending a few moments together now in in God's word. I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter five. Matthew chapter five, in a moment I'll read starting in verse 21 through to the end of verse 26. We are taking this fall to enjoy our way through the best sermon ever preached. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which shows us how we can live deeply in the kingdom of God. The King is here. King Jesus is here, and he has brought salvation with him, full and free. By grace, a ridiculous gathering of men and women can be saved and accepted as loved in his sight. And now, because Because of his grace, our lives can be different. We're to live as citizens of a new. Kingdom. And together we're learning week by week what that looks like from Jesus himself. And the next few weeks, oh, we're going to get into some stuff anger, lust, divorce, etc. Um, it's one of those sermon series that's really good in theory, and then week by week you think, Phew, what was I thinking? All right, well, here we go. Today we're going to talk about anger, but really what we're going to talk about is what Jesus has to say about our anger. So let's look at Matthew 5, starting in verse. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Father, we do pray that you would come once more and and be our teacher so that your perfect word would find a place in our hearts, that your spirit would be with us so that um, you and your love toward us would start to shape us more and more and that we might start to live in response to your great love for us. Be with us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Question, uh, when was the last time that you were really angry with someone? When was the last time you were really angry with someone? Rhetorical in the sense that I'm not gonna ask for a show of hands, but not rhetorical in this sense, like, find an answer in your heart. I think back uh, not too long ago, I was on my way to church and someone like some, this dude just totally cut me off at a junction. And like like, it was a total jerk move. There was no way he should have cut me off like he did. And so I was kind of following along, muttering things under my breath. And then things got a little bit awkward. Why? Because we kept making the same turns And it felt like I was following him and I didn't mean to follow him until I followed him into where? The church parking lot. (laughs) How grateful I was that I had not introduced him to some Scottish hand gestures. (laughs) What about you? When was the last time that you were really angry with someone? Or perhaps, when was the last time that someone, someone was angry with you? Here today is our our sermon in a sentence, the whole sermon in one sentence, a summary of the passage, a summary of what Jesus has to say. What does life look like in the kingdom of God? How do we live as citizens in God's new kingdom? Well, when you're angry, reconcile quickly. That's the teaching of Jesus in this text. When you're angry, reconcile quickly. This statement gets at the three key ideas he's gonna unpack for us. First of all, when you're angry, pointing us toward our need for reconciliation that we'll see in verses 21 and 22. Secondly, when you're angry, reconcile quickly, pointing us toward the priority of reconciliation that he tells us about in verses 23 and 24. And then thirdly, when you're angry, reconcile quickly. Pointing us toward the urgency of reconciliation that we see in verses 25 and 26. Let's look at this idea together. Starting with our need for reconciliation. When you're angry, reconcile quickly. Look at verse 21. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So he starts this passage with a contrast. You see it there in verses 21 and 22. You have heard that it was said, but now I say to you, We're in a section in the Sermon on the Mount where we're gonna hear this refrain a total of six times. You have heard it was said, but now I say to you. Now, when Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, he's actually not referring to the the Old Testament scriptures. He's not referring to to the Bible. Instead, he's referring to the religious leader's interpretation of the Bible. This is why he doesn't say, it is written. He says, you have heard it it was said, and now in contrast to what you have heard before, in contrast to what you have been taught, I am going to say a new thing. In other words, you've been taught one thing, but I'm about to teach something else, Jesus says. You've become familiar with one way of thinking, but, but I have a better word for you. Life in the kingdom is not what we expect. Well, what had people in those days been taught? Well, the religious leaders took the sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder, and interpreted it very narrowly, solely to mean that you weren't allowed to physically kill anyone. And this is a very popular command not been allowed to physically kill anyone. Why? Because few of us commit it, it, and yet all of us are protected by it. So is this one of those ones that we just get to check the box, feel good about ourselves, haven't murdered anyone recently, move on to the next thing? Well, Jesus says, not so fast. (laughs) Not so fast. Of course, it's wrong to murder, Jesus says. But it's also wrong to be full of anger. Murder, in other words, isn't just a crime of the hand, it's a sin of the heart. That's the idea that Jesus is going to reinforce with this repeated phrase. You've heard it was said, but I say to you that that, that God's will for our lives isn't just a matter of superficial things and external things. It's, It's a matter of what's going on within our own hearts, within our own souls. Murder, not just a crime of the hand, a sin of the heart. Now, of course, there is a kind of murder, a kind of anger that, that, that isn't sinful. We could think of it as a kind of righteous anger. God is angry with evil and injustice. Jesus himself overturns tables in the temple. We feel a kind of righteous anger when we think about racism or abuse or the Taliban. But it's not that kind of righteous anger that Jesus is forbidding. Look at verse 22. He says, When you're angry with your brother, when you insult your brother, when you call him a fool, when you get mad or condemning or dismissive of people you're supposed to love, something, something murderous is going on in your heart. The murder is not just a crime of the hand, it's a sin of the heart. And if that's the case, then any of us with even the smallest amount of self-awareness <laughs> need to realize that, This isn't just a box we can check and move on. This is something that we're guilty of. That all of us get get angry. Do you you remember the last time? Start to process that question in your heart. Perhaps it was with a friend at school who said something really unkind. Perhaps it was with a family member. You know the family member who's always giving you unsolicited advice. (laughs) Perhaps it was with your spouse um, incredible ability in marriage to have an argument. You've forgotten what the argument was even about, but you're still seething inside. Perhaps you were angry with one of your kids because they just don't get it. Perhaps you were angry with your parents because they just don't get it. Perhaps you were angry with a colleague who pokes their nose into your business or, or a boss maybe who takes credit for your ideas. Perhaps it was someone you didn't even know. Perhaps it was like, Some pundit on TV spouting what you believe to be an outrageous political opinion. You understand that our news outlets intentionally stoke up anger? Studies have shown them that outrage keeps viewers engaged, which in turn brings in more advertising money. It is in their interest for us all all to be angry, we're play, playing into their game and yet play play we do. Perhaps it was someone online. Uh, perhaps you are angry. Perhaps you're angry with God because there's something in your life that just doesn't make sense. There's something in your life you're not sure what he's up to. Perhaps you're angry with yourself. A bitter kind of anger where you're disappointed with who you are or the same old mistakes that you keep making Again and again, most of us don't have to think back too far to the last time that we were angry. Why do we get angry? Can I suggest a couple of reasons this morning? Beyond the superficial reason, the superficial superficial thing we're angry about, why, why do we get so angry? Two reasons. First of all, we tend to get angry when a goal is blocked. When a goal is blocked. So you wanted something to happen and it didn't happen. And so you get angry. Angry with whatever got in the way. You wanted a pay raise or a promotion and you didn't get it, so now your boss is a jerk. Or you you wanted you wanted a quiet night in and the kids are ruining it. And now you're now you're angry with them. Or you wanted to be to be understood, but your spouse just isn't listening, and and, and so you feel a, a upset and angry with them, or you wanted to be included in the group, but your friends made plans without you, and so now you're angry with them. You had a goal in mind, but then this goal was blocked, and so we got angry with whatever blocked it. Second reason we often get angry is, uh, we tend to get angry when a goal is blocked. We also tend to wear anger as an overcoat. (laughs) What do I mean by that? I mean, anger, Anger is a very accessible emotion. It's very it's quite easy to see something that annoys us and just get mad. It's also a very animating emotion. When you get angry, it's not like when you get sad and depressed where you kinda feel like this. When you get angry, it gets you moving right, it gets the blood flowing, you, you're kind of, you're ready to take out, it's like an accessible emotion and it's an animating emotion and so compared to some other emotions, it, it, feels, it feels quite good and so what we'll often do is wear the overcoat of anger to deal with harder emotions that we're actually experiencing. For example, grief. When, When something's happened that you just feel like a deep sorrow about, when something's happened that just causes you real pain, it's actually quite hard emotionally to sit in that place. And so, so what do we do? Well, so we don't have to sit with that, that pain. We just put on the overcoat of anger and, and get mad instead. Or if it's not grief, it might be shame. Shame, the sense that, you know, it's much harder to deal with the reality with your own failures as a parent than it is just to get mad with your kid. And so what do we do? We put on the overcoat of it. Whenever someone's angry, all, when whether you're angry, question what's underneath. <laughs> what emotions are, are going on underneath? Whenever you're angry, it's helpful to ask, do I have a goal that's been blocked or am I trying to cover something else up? We all struggle with this in one way or another. Maturity is in knowing how. Maturity isn't in not struggling with anger. We all struggle with anger. Maturity is in knowing how. So that's the first key idea in our passage. Anger is an all too common reality, something we all struggle with. We are all in need of a solution. And so here Jesus comes telling us what to do with our anger. When you're angry, Jesus says, reconcile quickly. Reconcile, pointing us toward the priority of reconciliation in verses 23 and 24. You see it there? So if you're offering your gift at the altar, if you're in worship, if you're in church, and there remember that your brother has something against you, not not that you have something against them, but that they might have something against you, verse 24, leave your gift there before the altar and go. Go. First be reconciled to your brother then come and offer your gift one of the things that's so just practically and yet profoundly helpful about the bible is that whenever one behavior is forbidden another behavior is is commanded We saw this in our series on the the 10 commandments, right? You shall not commit adultery means you should pursue healthy relationships and you shouldn't lie means you should tell the truth and you shouldn't covet means that you should be content. Uh, The Christian life, it's not just about saying no to a bunch of things. It's about saying yes to a much richer, fuller, better, more compelling vision of, of life. And so it is here. Jesus says, yeah, we're not to give in to anger. Instead, we pursue reconciliation. We pursue restored relationships, relationships made right. We replace anger with reconciliation. Now, do you see how important that is to Jesus? The priority he places on it in these verses, through the picture, through the illustration that he's using, like we all understand, right, how important worship is. Worship's, worship's important. It's good for our souls to be here in worship. And yet Jesus says, do you know there's a sense in which there's something that's more important. In fact, if you find yourself in the middle of church and you remember not even that you're mad with someone else, but that someone else might be mad with you. So important is that to me that you, you should get up and go to the lobby. And you should pull out your phone and you should make a call. You should go and do that first and then, and then come in and be a, be, a part of, be a part of worship. Your relationships with other people, Jesus says, are profoundly important and impact your relationship with me. And it's hard to be in worship when you're really angry with someone. Why? Well, think about it. James will teach us later in the New Testament that you can't praise God with the same tongue that you're using to curse men and women who've been made in his image. It's so important to Jesus that he would say, prioritize prioritize reconciled relationships even before uh, coming to worship. So what do we do with our anger? Well, listen, we don't, we don't stew on it, nurse it, stoke it, indulge it, defend it, justify it. Isn't anger a weird sin? Because like, you know, most, of, see with most of my sins, I don't go around telling everyone about them. right? <laughs> but anger is one of those sins where we're like, hey, let me tell you how mad I am with it. You will never guess what this person did. Right. And I'm going to try and pull you into my, into my anger. Right don't 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 stew in it also though friends um, we don't just stuff it you know some people when they're angry blow up and get mad other people when they're angry get very quiet and we just push the anger down we deny it we try to hide it we try to cover it. You try to cover it up do you, what do you look like do you know what you look like when you're angry do you know what it's like for someone else when you're angry with with them jesus says hey don't stew in your anger don't stuff your anger. Instead, pursue reconciliation. Pursue relationships made right. Take the places in your heart where you're harboring anger for another person, whoever they may be, and allow that to drive you toward pursuing, pursuing them before even you come and worship me. Now, can we do a quick timeout? A quick pastoral time out because there's something, there's there's a really important nuance that we need to add to this teaching, a nuance that the rest of the scriptures give us. And that's to say that there, there are some of us and some of us here today who have been really seriously and like grievously sinned against by others. I'm thinking of, any kind of abuse physical spiritual emotional sexual abuse and there are there are people in this room who have had those sorts of sins committed against them and i want you to know that there are depths of sin that make it appropriate to permanently end a relationship sometimes you you will have to permanently and our relationship. In this regard, it's sometimes helpful to remember the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness is the promise that you're not gonna try and make someone pay for what they've done. And forgiveness takes place in your heart and in your relationship with the Lord. It doesn't depend upon the other person or on, on, on what they do next. And as believers in Jesus, it's so important for us always to be, to be working toward forgiveness, to be pursuing forgiveness for those who have sinned against us, both because we forgive as we've been forgiven, but also mainly for, for our own sake and for our own good, Nelson Mandela, before you left prison, reportedly said, as I stand before the door to my freedom, I realize that if I do not leave my pain, anger and bitterness behind me, I will still be in prison. For our own welfare, for our own good, we're always working toward forgiveness. But there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness in your own heart, in the context of your relationship with God. Reconciliation, the restoring of that relationship, taking place not just in your own heart, but with with the other person, with the person who has has sinned against you, or perhaps against whom you have sinned, and friends, there are situations like those I mentioned earlier where it is neither wise nor appropriate nor loving to enter back into relationship with someone who sinned against you. And friends, if you have experienced that kind of situation, if you've walked through physical, emotional, spiritual, sexual abuse, I want you to hear me loud and clear that there's freedom for you. We're not going to add to the abuse you've already experienced. The spiritual abuse of saying that you should now go and make it right with that person. Now Romans twelve eight says what? If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. But sometimes other people have made it impossible. Their sin has made it impossible. And if you've been through times like this, we're not here to say hey go fix it. We're here to say hey we'll walk we'll walk with you. So. Can you can catch biblical wisdom here, the nuance of it, the layers of it? On one hand, we're saying there are situations where it's appropriate to permanently end a relationship. However, those situations are, are few and far between. They're not the, the norm. In normal day-to-day life, the routine life of, of, of relationships and family and friends and bosses and colleagues, in these situations and the day-to-day normalcy of life, we're always to pursue reconciliation. We hold those two things together, hold those two things in in, in tension with me so that we would never tell someone who's been abused that they have to go reconcile and also so that we would never let ourselves off the hook just because we don't really want to go and reconcile. Hold these things together. Back to our point though, for now though, the priority in normal day-to-day life that Jesus puts on reconciliation with our friends, our family members, our colleagues, here's what we do. We We take our anger to Jesus. You know, that's a very, um, <laughs> it's a very diffusing thing to do, to go and tell Jesus about how mad you are. Because sometimes he's angry too, you know? When you think about some of the evil and injustice in the world, sometimes he's angry too. And you know, sometimes he's really not. <laughs> like he's really... How your spouse loads the dishwasher does not upset Jesus, okay? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> And it just helps diffuse your own anger where you realize, okay, I might be making a bigger thing of this than than I need to. We take our anger to Jesus and we start to do the gospel work in our own hearts. The soul work the work of grace that would take us to passages like colossians 3 which says that we're to bear with one another and to forgive one another as Christ has borne with and forgiven us passages like ephesians 4:32 where we're told to be kind to one another tender hearted to one another forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven us and we pray Jesus will you help me here i need your spirit to come and do a work in my heart because i am mad and and, and i don't want to be mad but i still am so i need any I need grace i need help have, have your way with with my heart. We do that internal work of grace in our hearts. And then Matthew 5, 23 and 24, we go. We go and we're reconciled with our brother. We take the initiative. We take the first step. We're on the move. It's a priority he's given us to pursue. You know when Jesus says go, like the one who loves us, when, when he sends us, we should go. And it's easy to get buy-in on that when he says, go make disciples of all nations. It's harder to get buy-in on that when he says, go be reconciled to your brother. But it's a priority to him, so we want it to be a priority to us. Takes us to a third key idea in this text. Uh, to this priority, Jesus attaches a sense of, of urgency. When you're angry, reconcile quickly. We'll be brief on this point. Look at verse 25 with me. Come to terms when? Quickly, with your accuser, while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. Jesus uses a picture, uses an illustration, a story to make a point that we all know to be true as we struggle to reconcile with people, and simply this, uh, the longer you wait, the harder it gets. The longer you wait to reconcile, the harder it becomes to reconcile. As a pastor, it breaks my heart how much I see this. You know, no young couple gets married planning on becoming hardened and estranged from one another, and yet here, 30 years later, they're... They are in my office. Why? Because each brick of anger was just placed and left and placed and left and placed and left until this brick became a wall, and now it's hard to see a reconciliation possible no no, no parent plans on being estranged from their child, and yet a decade passes and 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 there's still there's still friction no no you know no. No boss or or colleague plans plans to get into awkward, nasty, intractable relationships with each other, but it it happens. And the point is, yeah, no one planned for for it to be this way, but you have to actively plan on it not to be this way. (laughs) If you don't reconcile quickly, these things end up happening, which is why Jesus says, you know, the best time to reconcile is the moment you suspect there's a problem. Ephesians 4.26, how good is this verse? Uh, You know it. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. When should you deal with it? Today. Today. And isn't that a great verse? All Married couples, this is such a good verse if you're married. Um, If you're getting ready for bed and you're mad with your spouse, it ain't bedtime. And... We're not not to let the sun go down when there's still this kind of murderous thoughts going on within within our heart. We're to address it, and we're to address it today. We're to address it without delay. We don't assume you'll have the opportunity tomorrow. You never know what might happen tomorrow. You never know whether the other person might be willing to reconcile with you tomorrow. We also don't assume, though, and this is... um, This is sobering to me. Friends, don't assume that you'll have the capacity to reconcile tomorrow. What do I mean? I I, I mean that sin hardens our hearts. Nobody ever wants to become like an old, angry, bitter person, but that happens. Why? If we leave the heart unattended, the, the the holy desire that you f- might feel right now to be reconciled to someone will atrophy if you don't exercise it. Our own hearts harden over over time, and so the longer we wait, the harder it gets. We act without delay. We act quickly. The longer you wait to have a hard conversation, the harder it becomes. That's such an important leadership principle, whether it be in our homes, in our offices, in our churches. You know, a hard conversation doesn't get easier with time. It might be hard, but it's right now is the easiest it's gonna be. Act without delay, okay? Takes us to the obvious application, doesn't it? Um, Who are the people in my life? Who are the people in your life with whom you need to reconcile? Who are the people you're mad at? Who are the people who are mad with you? Who are the people in your life with whom you need to, to reconcile, do that work of gospeling your own heart, thinking about how we've been dealt with by Christ, but then go and go today. Make the call. Say, I don't like what's happening between us. I don't like where our relationship is at just now. I care about you more than I care about our disagreement. Is there something I can do to help get us back on track? As far as it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Your life will be free from anger to the extent that it's full of reconciliation. When you're angry, reconcile quickly. That's what life in the kingdom looks like. Not a life that's never tempted to anger, but instead a life that is full of reconciliation. And what a picture it is of the kind of people we're to be. It might not be what we expect in our age of outrage where anger brings in dollars we are to be a winsome and disarming presence but it will bring blessing to us as our own hearts are free from anger and blessing to others as we enjoy restored relationships who knows it might even stop you from cussing at a fellow church member on the way to church (laughs) and that life is possible kingdom life is possible why always because of the king who's done what? Who's seen our need and who's prioritized it with urgency to reconcile us to himself. And the grace that has saved us is the grace that empowers us to live this way in the kingdom of God. Amen. Father, we do thank you for dealing so practically and kindly with us. And... Uh, thank you, Lord, for speaking to our anger because it's something that all of us struggle with at some point or another and in one way or another. And so we need your your grace and your teaching to know how how we ought to live in light of it, what we ought to do with it. And so, Father, we take a moment now, just in the quietness of our, our own hearts, in the space that you give us in this place, to think about our anger to think especially about anyone with whom we need to go and reconcile and just listen to your spirit and and how you how you would lead